Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you on this first Sunday of the season of Lent, a season that lasts 40 days. We're together, we travel with Jesus, we journey to Jerusalem, we follow Jesus all the way to the cross. And so this morning, we actually are kicking off our Lenten sermon series. For the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at 12 of the people who knew Jesus the best. We're going to look at the life and the faith of Jesus' 12 disciples. And what we're going to do every week is we're going to take an in-depth look at one of them, and we're going to discover not only who they were and, and, and some information about them, but hopefully we can discover what they teach us about living a life of discipleship, that we can learn what they teach us about following Jesus. So this morning we start with uh, the most well-known of all of Jesus' disciples. This morning we start with a disciple named Simon Peter. And of course the reason why he's the most well-known is because uh, his name appears in the Gospels 155 times. The only name that appears more times than his is Jesus. Not only does he have the most lines of all the disciples in the Gospels, he has the most attention paid to him by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every time the 12 disciples are listed out in any of the Gospels, Peter's name is always first. So it is an appropriate thing for us to start with this disciple named Simon Peter, and while there are a lot of different passages that we could look at that I think give us insight to who he was and what he was all about, I think perhaps the most definitive is the one we'll read this morning from Matthew chapter 16. This is where uh, Simon is given his nickname, Peter. Hear how Matthew tells this story. Now when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others still say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are now Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter then took him aside and he began to rebuke him, saying, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, 
and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory and with all of his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh God, as we begin this 40-day journey called Lent, we ask that you would guide our steps. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears this day to hear a word from you. And may it be a word of hope, of grace, of forgiveness and love, but may it also be a word of instruction that teaches us what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It is in his mighty name that we pray. Amen. So back when I was in the 10th grade, I took a field trip with my class uh, to New York City. And while we were there, we took in what was, for many of us, our very first Broadway play. It was actually a musical. It was called The King and I, starring Lou Diamond Phillips. Now, if I'm being honest with you this morning, I will tell you that I was not exactly excited about seeing a Broadway musical. Getting out of school for the day, yes. Seeing a Broadway musical, not exactly. But what I will also tell you is that from the moment we went inside and the, and the lights went down and the curtains went up, I was absolutely mesmerized for the next two and a half hours. The show was amazing. To the point that for the, ver- for the rest of the trip, I found myself uh, with the most well-known song from the show kind of trapped inside my head. It was like an earworm. I couldn't get rid of it. And so everywhere I went in New York City, I was either humming or singing or whistling, getting to know you, getting to know all about you. Now, the reason I mentioned this this morning is for two reasons. Thank you. Uh, The reason is, uh, the first reason is simply because I wanted to bless you with the gift of my singing, okay? So there you have it, and you are welcome. But the second reason is because in the weeks leading up to this series, I've been thinking, you know, I think that that's what we want to do over the next six weeks when it comes to Jesus' disciples. We want to get to know them. We want to get to know all about them. And so over the next six weeks, my hope is not only that we would start to understand more about who they are and where they were from, but I also hope we get to learn what they have to teach us about the life of discipleship. What does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus? So this morning we start with the most prominent of all of Jesus' disciples. We start with Peter. And what do we know about the disciple Peter? Well, first and foremost, we know that he wasn't actually Peter. I mean, he was, eventually, but he didn't start out that way. 
because that was only a nickname that Jesus eventually gave him. No, his original name, his, his given name, was Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon, son of Jonah. And what we know about Simon, son of Jonah, is the fact that he, he worked and lived in a small fishing village on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. It was called Capernaum. And it was there that he and his brother Andrew and their partners James and John and their father Zebedee owned a fishing business. And we can assume that it was a fairly good size fishing business because the Gospel of Luke tells us that they owned several boats. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that they had several employees. So at the very least, this was a very well-established business. And it was while Simon was working for this business that one day Jesus came walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, took one look at him and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And that's all it took. In that moment, Simon Peter dropped everything and he followed Jesus all the days of his life. Now what's interesting is when you think about the moment that he said yes, like from the very moment that he dropped his nets and said, I will go wherever you tell me to, Simon Peter got to see a lot of stuff. I mean, it starts in chapter 4. We, we read all the way up to chapter 16 today, and in between those two chapters, there's a lot of things that Peter got to experience and to witness. For instance, he got to witness exorcisms and healings. He got to listen to Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He, he got to be witness to a resurrection of a little girl that Jesus literally raised from the dead. He got to hear some of Jesus' famous teachings. He got to hear some of Jesus' famous parables. He even got to see Jesus walk on water. And so I think by the time that we get to the story we read in chapter 16, what Matthew wants us to know is Simon Peter's been around for a while. Simon Peter's seen a lot of things, probably to the point where he asked himself more than a time or two, so who is this man? Anyways. And so one day, Jesus and his disciples are in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And it's there that Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them what probably seemed like an innocuous question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Or more specifically, what he was saying is, who do people say that I am? To which the disciples replied, well, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elijah. Others think that you're Jeremiah or one of, one of the other prophets. In other words, what the disciples were saying to Jesus is, the people, they think you're a pretty big deal. <laughs> they think you are one of the greatest figures of the faith. Indeed, they think that you're a prophet. To which Jesus then said, okay, that's nice and all, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And isn't it interesting that Matthew 
lets us know that it wasn't the disciples who responded to this question, but rather it was just one of the disciples, one of the disciples who had been with Jesus from the very beginning, who for the past 11 chapters have seen every sermon, every teaching, every miracle. It was one specific disciple who stood up boldly and courageously and made his profession. The disciple was Simon Peter who stood up and said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. For Simon Peter, this was his way of saying to Jesus, you're not just one of the great figures of the faith. You are the great figure of the faith because you are the Messiah. You are the one that they were trying to tell us about. You're the one that we've been waiting for. For Simon Peter, this wasn't just some random guess or, a, or, or, or an attempt at answering Jesus' pop quiz in Caesarea Philippi. No, this was a wholehearted, full-fledged confession of faith. And so it is, Jesus responds by saying, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, this was not something that you came to on your own, you know, by your own will, by your own great powers of deduction. No, God gave this to you. And not only have you discerned it, but you trusted it, and you believed it, and now you've confessed it. And so from this day forward, he says, you will no longer be Simon. No, now you will be Petros. You are Peter. You're the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Maybe I'm wrong, but I have to think that this was one of the greatest moments in Simon Peter's life. I mean, don't you think? I mean, don't you think at least on the Mount Rushmore of great moments in his life, this had to make at least the top four? Because just think about what Jesus said to him. He said, dude, you're the rock. You're the one. You are the foundation on which I will build my church. Not only that, but you're the one that I will entrust my mission and my ministry to so that you might carry it forward? If I had to guess, I would suggest that this was one of the greatest moments of Simon Peter's life, which is ironic because it was immediately followed by one of the worst moments of Simon Peter's life. Because according to Matthew, after Simon Peter made his triumphant confession of faith, that's when Jesus began to make the first of four predictions concerning his own death. There are four different times in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus says to his disciples, fellas, I need you to know something. I'm going to die. This path that we're on, this doesn't ultimately lead to a throne. It will lead to a cross, which I'm sure was very confusing for the disciples, don't you think? You know, to, to have listened to Simon Peter say, you are the Messiah, meaning you are the Savior. You're the one that we've been waiting for. And for the very next moment, to Jesus say, for Jesus to say, yeah, and that means that I'm going to be killed? 
Those two things don't fit well together. How can you be a Messiah? How can you be a Savior and in this very same breath mention death? And so in my mind's eye, when I picture the disciples, I figure that they're confused. There's probably some consternation, a whole lot of concern. But they ultimately don't want to say anything. They don't know how to reply to Jesus after what he just said. And so who decides to stand up and speak on behalf of the disciples? Who decides to say, well, if none of the rest of you will say anything, I sure will. It was good old Simon Peter the good old rock, the one guy that we could depend on to address the elephant in the room. And I would imagine that Simon Peter thought, I'm about to, I'm about to drop the mic again. This is going to be amazing. I'm, gonna, I'm already batting a thousand. I mean, surely I can do it again, right? And so he probably has his chest puffed out a little bit as he goes up to Jesus thinking he's about to say the right thing. But he says exactly the wrong thing. Because according to Matthew, he takes him aside and he almost takes him by the shirt collar and says, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. I believe with every fiber of my being that Simon Peter thought that he was saying the right thing to Jesus. He may even have thought that I'm about to get pat on the head again. You know, I'm about to get, I'm about to get praised by Jesus one more time. But that is not what happened. Because according to Matthew, that's the moment when Jesus then turned to Simon Peter and he rebukes him and he says to him in no uncertain words, get thee behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. For you do not have in mind the things of God, but rather the things of humans. Maybe it's just me. But I have to think that that was one of the worst moments of Simon Peter's life. Because you realize what Jesus just said to him. I mean, in the blink of an eye, he went from calling him the rock to calling him the block, meaning the stumbling block that is literally standing in the way of where Jesus is trying to get to. In one breath, Jesus said, you are the foundation on which I will build my church. And in the next, he's saying, you are a hindrance to me. I need you to get out of my way. This had to have been, had to have been one of the worst moments of Simon Peter's life. To the point that if when they were leaving Caesarea Philippi, like when they were heading down the mountain as they were going to their next place of ministry, I'm guessing that Simon Peter was probably beating himself up. I, I don't know if that's what you would have done, but I know that that's what I would do. I would have been kicking myself. I would have been like, really, Jeremy? Come on. You had to go there. You had to put your, mouth, your foot in your mouth to that degree. I mean, goodness gracious. And I would even imagine that Simon Peter wondered if he had ruined things permanently with Jesus, that at some point Jesus was going to turn to him and say, hey, listen, you know what? On second thought, Simon, let's not call you Peter. Let's not call you the rock. I mean, I, mean, I hoped that that's who you could be. I was thinking that's who you could be, but clearly I was wrong. So let, let's just go back to calling you just plain old Simon. How about that? Because clearly... 
you don't have what it takes. If I had been in Simon Peter's shoes, I would have been waiting for the moment when Jesus turned around and said, sorry, bud, but you're just not cutting it. I need you to leave. But do you know what Simon Peter didn't realize yet? What I am absolutely convinced that Simon Peter did not realize in that moment is that when Jesus called him the rock, he didn't call him the rock because of who he already was. He called him the rock because of who God was calling him to be. In other words, he didn't look at Simon Peter and say, now there's a guy who's got it all together. There's a guy who's got it figured out. I mean, you are everything I could have hoped for. You are fully equipped for everything that could possibly come your way. You are the foundation on which I want to build my church. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. No, when he looked at Simon Peter, he realized that he was simply someone that God would equip along the way, that God would shape and mold and form into who he was calling him to become. Jesus didn't call him the rock because of who he was, but rather because of who he was becoming. That's why when Jesus rebuked Peter, he used some very specific language. He said, get behind me. And why would Jesus say, get behind me? Because just a few verses later, he says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and what? Follow me. And you cannot follow Jesus unless you're behind him. Maybe. That's a good thought for us as we head into the season of Lent. Maybe that's a good question for all of us this morning. Where are you in relationship to Jesus? Are you behind him? Or are you, like so many of us tend to be, are you in front of him? Are are you the kind of person who's always two steps ahead, saying, Jesus, why don't you just take a seat in the back seat of the car? I got the wheel, okay? I know where we're going. I know what I want us to do. I know what the roadmap is, so just trust me, I'll lead the way. Are you in front of Jesus? Or are are you where you're supposed to be? Are you behind him? Because it's only when we're behind him that we can say, where you go, I'll go. What you do, I'll do. And where you lead, I will follow. Now, earlier this week, um, I had the opportunity to go to what is easily one of my least favorite places in all the world. I got to go to Marietta, Georgia. And, and, and I probably said that wrong. It's not my least favorite place. It's just that I don't like the traffic that, it, that is required to get to Marietta, okay? I hate 285 and 75 and 85. I hate it all. And so I really didn't want to go to Marietta except that I got to serve on our annual conferences Board of Ordained Ministry. Which, if you're not familiar, that is a group of clergy and lady from all around North Georgia who have one job. We interview candidates for ordained ministry. Well, on Monday, uh, we we got to interview this this young man who was an absolute delight. Uh, For the sake of the story, I'll call him Steve. Uh, And Steve, I remember he came into the room, there were about nine of us that were going to interview him, and he sat down and we just had a really good conversation. 
Well, to kick things off, we thought that we might start with, you know, kind of like a softball question, like a tell us your story of your calling into ministry kind of thing. And so I simply said to Steve, so Steve, tell us how you got here. And I remember he looked at us and he smiled and he said, well, uh, for starters, this wasn't a part of my plan. I said, really? If this wasn't your plan, what was your plan? And he said, well, to be honest with you, for most of my life, I thought I was going to be a professional gamer. I said, what? He said, I, I wanted to play video games professionally. And I said, that's a thing? Because I'm really good at Mario. I was like, second career, hello. And so I said, what games do you play? And he listed like five or six games that I had never heard of before, made me feel really old. I almost deferred him just on that alone. But nevertheless, he said, yeah, that, that, that's what I wanted to be. Because when I was growing up in high school, he said, I went to church, but I was not a person of faith. Most Sundays, I would sneak out of church, go to the gas station across the street, eat some chips and soda, and then come back by the time the, the reverend was finishing up. He said, I was not a person of faith in high school, but when I got to college, he said, that's where I met Jesus. That's where I was met with the power and the reality of Jesus. And he said, during my years in college, I heard Jesus say to me, I want you to serve my church. He said, which was totally bizarre to me because I said, Lord, that, that's not possible. You can't be calling me because, Lord, I'm an idiot. He literally said this to the Board of Ordained Ministries. I'm an idiot. We said, you are? Uh, but nevertheless, he said, I told God that can't be because I don't have what it takes. To which Jesus said to him, these are his words, he said, but Jesus said, I do. And if you trust me, I will equip you with everything you need to answer the call. So that's how I got here, he said. It wasn't part of my plan, but it absolutely was a part of God's. I wonder if God might be calling to you, might call, be calling you to something during this season of Lent. I don't know. And maybe it's not something as, as heavy as, as like ordained ministry, but who knows? Maybe it is. But nevertheless, I wonder if there's something that God is calling you to do that you don't want to do, but God needs you to do. If there is, can I give you a word of advice? You can't be in front. When it comes to discipleship, you can't be two steps ahead. You cannot say to Jesus, I got this. I will dictate where we're going and when we'll get there. No, if there's one thing that I've learned, if there's one thing that Simon Peter learned, if there's one thing that we all have to learn, is that in order to follow Jesus, we have to be behind him. Because that is the only place where we, where we will ever truly learn how to say, where you go, I will go. What you do, I'll do. And where you lead, I will follow. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.